I'm so glad to see each and every one of you here today. Um, God is good. Amen. Amen. And his presence is here in this place. Our worship team got up here and they led us straight into the presence of God. And God is in this place. I want to talk to you today on the topic, what you need to do. What you need to do. Turn to your neighbor, tell them you need to do something. You need to do something. <laughs> Can we cut on this fan? I mean, this uh, AC unit right here. Can we cut that on? Service team. It's a little hot up here. These lights. I feel like I'm getting a tan. This is crazy. Whew. You need to do something. What you need to do. I don't know if you were at the retreat or you listened to any of the messages, but something that one of the pastors there, one of the speakers there, Dr. Kirby Clements said, is he talked about Christianity being the merger of two things. Christianity is about divine liability and human responsibility. That Christianity is not just all about what God is liable to do for us. There's so many people who are upset at God, angry at God, bitter at the church, don't want to talk to God because they misunderstand the fact that Christianity is not just about divine liability. It's not just about what God is supposed to do and what God should do for you. But Christianity is about human responsibility and divine liability. And that there are some things that God will not do. There are some things God will not do for you. You can ask all day. You can pray on your knees 24-7 and God won't do it. Why? Because there's just some things you have to do. You need to do something. You know, Jesus, he went and he paid it all on the cross. He took on the form of a human servant. He, he walked the earth sinless. Healed the sick, raised the dead, cast out demons, cleansed the lepers. He did quite a bit. And then he went to the cross for you and I. Buried for three days, resurrected. But, you know, he did all of that. But you're not saved unless you put your faith in him. And that's something that Jesus cannot do for you. He can begin by his spirit to move upon your heart, to begin to activate things. But you got to make a choice. You know, God can't pray for you. He can intercede for you. Yes, he stands right now and he prays for us in our weakness. But he can't make your mouth move and pray on his own. You know, worship. That's something that God just will not do. You got to do it breakthroughs. There's some breakthroughs in your life that you will not experience unless you understand that you have a, a something to do. You have a place, a role. You have a part to play. You need to do something. And so today I want to talk to you about what you need to do. Ever since Dr. Kirby said that at the retreat, I've been thinking about it. I've been meditating on it over and over and over. Divine liability, human responsibility. Wait, God, I thought it was all you. I thought you're sovereign. You're supernatural. You're powerful. Everything's under your feet, God. You can do anything you want, right? And God's like, yeah, I can. I can do anything I want. But there are certain things I just don't choose to do because I want you to do. See, when you understand this principle, if you walk away today understanding what I'm talking about, it will change your life. 
If you if you step out of this place, you just close your heart right now. You don't listen to what I have to say. You're going to walk out and you're going to have the same bondage. You're going to be in the same place, the same discouragement, the same depression, the same hopelessness, the same feelings that you've been struggling with. When you walk through the door, you will carry it out if you close your heart. See, you know, one thing that God can't do for you as well is force you to listen. You got to do it. So are you listening? Amen. I want to look at a place in the Bible, in the book of Acts, that shows this principle so well. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. You know, there's so many things in life where we feel like we're waiting for God and God's waiting for us. Things where we think that God hasn't moved and he's like, I have moved. It's time for you to move. Things where we feel like we're powerless and God's like, I've given you all power. All the power you need already resides inside of you. It's time for you to do something. What you need to do. We're going to look at Acts chapter 12. We're going to read from verses 6 to 17. Well, actually, we'll go back a couple verses. We will go to verse 1. We'll read from 1 to 17. How about that? Everybody there? All right, let's do this. If you don't have your Bible, just look alongside the person next to you. Get in a personal space and read. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He laid violent hands. That's what my mama used to do when I talk back. She'd lay violent hands on me. Okay, yeah, sorry. <laughs> he laid violent hands on someone who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. Okay, my mama didn't do that. But when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread, the feast of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people, probably to publicly execute him. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. See what happens when the church starts to pray. Let's keep reading. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door was guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city and it opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Let me just stop right there and pray for us. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that you 
are here with us. And Lord, we thank you, God, that for as much as you are here with us, God, you empower us to walk out of this place and be the people you've called us to be. You've given us your spirit that we would not just experience you, God, but that, Lord, we would be your hands and feet. So, God, I just pray today would mindsets of futility, hopelessness and despair break off, God. I just speak right now by the word of the Lord that hearts are being opened right now, God. That ears that have been shut off, God, are being opened right now, God. That minds are being opened by your spirit to conceive and perceive your word. And so, God, as the word goes out, may it bring forth a mighty harvest in our lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the context is that Herod is laying violent hands on the church. He is persecuting the church, and so he kills James. He kills James, and he takes Peter, and he arrests Peter. He puts Peter in prison. Peter is now in bondage. He's got two chains on him. For some reason, that made me start to think of a, a rapper by the name of Two Chains. <laughs> Sorry. He's got two chains on him. And he is in prison. He is in bondage. And the church is praying. And what happens when the church decides they want to pray to God on behalf of someone? Something supernatural happens. You want to know something? When you decide to pray, God decides to move. Something you need to start doing is start to pray, but not just pray in any kind of way, not just murmuring, but earnest prayer. That means precise prayer. That means prayer with passion. That means that you decide to open up your mouth on behalf of someone other than yourself. And what begins to happen? An angel shows up. Peter's asleep. Peter wasn't even praying. There's other stories where Paul and Silas, at least they were in prison worshiping. They were singing songs. They were dancing. They were like wave after wave. Peter's down there. (laughs) Peter's not even praying, but because someone else was praying on his behalf, God moved supernaturally. So an angel shows up. An angel shows up and Peter is knocked out. He is between two guards and he is really comfortable. Isn't it so interesting? Peter is in bondage and he is asleep. Doesn't that sound like many people walking around with chains on us? We're in bondage. We're in prison. Our lives do not exemplify the abundant life Jesus has for us. Yet we are asleep. Just going through each day, day after day after day after day. My life is always the same. Everything. I'm always going to have this addiction. I'm always going to have this struggle. I'm always going to. I might as well not even hope. I might as well not even pray. I might as well not do anything because I am fast asleep. Asleep. But God shows up. Anytime you see an angel in the Bible, that angel represents the voice of God. It represents God deciding to intervene in someone's life. An angel shows up because angels, they don't, he didn't move on his own accord. God said, hey, you go. All right, cool. I don't know if that's what they did, but in my mind, that's always how angels leave from heaven. They just jump. (laughs) Some of y'all get that later. Shows up. He shows up, but Peter's in bondage and Peter is asleep. So what does he have to do? The, the 
angel, what does it say he does? Let's keep, let's look. Verses six, Herod was about to bring him out. Right before Herod's about to kill him, Peter was asleep. Peter was asleep when he needed to be awake. Don't you think if it was the night before you were about to die, you would be up praying? Don't you think if it's the night before you're about to be publicly humiliated and executed, you'd be like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? You would be up all night pacing back and forth with blood just because you're so ready. No, Peter's asleep. And that's when God shows up. God shows up and the angel shows up. Verse seven, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and light shone into the cell. Light was all around Peter, but Peter was asleep. Sometimes you can be in a place where there is light all around you. God is all around you, but you can't see it because you're asleep. How many of you, even today, you walked in here and you felt like, man, this place is dead. Man, I can't wait to go home. Watch my dramas. I'm a grown man watching dramas, but it's okay. Okay, I'm just kidding. Dramas are good. I've watched a few. I've watched a few. You're like, there's no life in this place. Man, life's when I go out. Life's when I I leave Friday, Saturday night. That's where the life is. You're surrounded by death and you think it's life. But when you're surrounded by light, you think think there's death. You think there's darkness because you're asleep. He's asleep and light shones into the cell There's this divine liability. God steps in and all of a sudden, what does God do? It says the angel struck him. He struck Peter on the side. I'm guessing he struck him hard enough to wake him up. Which means he probably hit him with some force. (laughs) He woke him up. I started off talking about divine liability. The one thing God will do for you is wake you up. God will come into your situation. He will move some of your circumstances. Some of you are wondering, why are things so bad? Why is this happening in my family? Why is this happening in my job? Why is this happening here? Why is this happening here? It's God striking you to try and wake you up. It's divine liability. One thing God will do is he will jump in to wake you up. Sometimes God will move to bless you and that's to strike you to wake you up. So he strikes Peter And Peter, he wakes up, you know, because you can't wake up on your own accord. You can't wake yourself up. You need an alarm. You need somebody. You can't wake yourself up. God has to wake you up, right? But he wakes Peter up. And then the first thing that Peter has to do, the first thing that you need to do, he says to him, he struck Peter on the side and woke him and said, get up quickly. Get up quickly. Peter's asleep. He goes, Peter's in bondage. Peter wakes up. Peter, get up. That's because you can you can be asleep. You can even wake up and recognize God's around you. But there comes a point where if you're going to experience breakthrough, you got to get up. You got to get up out of that pit. You've got to get up out of that muck. You got to stop feeling sorry for yourself. You got to stop looking down upon yourself. You got to stop doing those things and you've got to get up. But here's the thing. The angel was responsible for waking Peter up, but he wasn't responsible for making Peter get up. You notice that he doesn't say that the angel came beside Peter and helped him to his feet. No, the angel said, listen, Peter, you're down there. You're in bondage. You need to get up right now. For so many of us, God's been speaking to you. Get up. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Stop looking down upon yourself. Stop thinking about woe is me and how bad my situation is. Get up. Get up. Get up. You're a son. 
son. Don't go down to that pit. Get up. You're a son. Don't look at that. Get up. And we say, oh, no. In fact, he says, get up quickly. Some of us, we want to get up slow. I know, you know, I know some people that when they get up out of bed, it takes them three hours to get up. You know, they hit their alarm. They get, they get up as a process, right? They, they, they roll over, hit the alarm, roll back, got another alarm five minutes later. That's the one to actually roll up to the side. Then they got another alarm that they hit five minutes later to take one step out of bed. 30 minutes have passed and you just now got out of bed. That's how many believers live their Christian walk. I'll get up, but it's got to be a slow process. I'll slowly get up. Help me. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to get up. I, I mean, I know I'm depressed. I know this is bad for me. I know this bondage and addiction is not good for me. I know that I shouldn't be living in this place, but I need it to be slow. When God says, get up quickly. And here, check this out. Look in the verse. The, it says that when he said, get up quickly and Peter got up, the chains fell off. See, some of you, the bondage in your life is, is over you because you just won't get up quick enough. You're waiting for someone to take you by the hand and slowly lead you. Are you okay? Okay, let's keep going. Are you okay? Let's keep going. Are you okay? Let's keep going. When God's like, I put all power and authority inside of you. My spirit is inside of you. Get up quickly. Stop taking all day. Your breakthrough doesn't have to take three years. It can happen in three minutes if you'll just get up. But God can't get up for you. God can't do it for you. You got to do it. Peter couldn't, he couldn't wait for the angel. The angel was not going to pick him up. The angel was not going to throw him on his back. Peter had to exercise the authority to take one leg, take the other leg and get up. And he had to do it quickly. And some of us, we don't want to get up quickly because it's uncomfortable. You know, that's why we don't, that's why our sleep, our waking up is a process, right? That's why it takes us four hours to wake up because we like it to be a process. We need to be slow because it's comfortable. Not understanding that sometimes for some things to get broken off of your life, it needs to be sudden and it needs to be uncomfortable. You won't get set free unless you get up quickly. The first thing that had to happen was he had to get up quickly. See, when the chains fell off because God did that, God broke the chains off. All Peter had to do was get up. God did what only he could do when Peter did what only Peter could do. When you decide that you're going to stop feeling sorry for yourself, you're going to stop looking down upon yourself, stop living in despair, stop allowing that addiction to define who you are, stop allowing your circumstances to speak into your identity. When you start doing what only you can do, God will start doing what only he can do. And it can happen in an instant. That's the first thing. The first thing he says, get up quickly. Peter gets up. Oh, snap. I ain't got no more chains. No more two chains, no chains. And he's standing there with no chains. And then the next thing he says to him, Ooh, I love this. He says, and the angel said to him, verse eight, dress here. Let me dress you. No, dress yourself. 
and put on your sandals. The angel addressed Peter. The angel did not dress him. You know what this means? Like the angel said, dress yourself. You know, when you're a baby, someone will dress you, right? When you're a little baby, you ain't got no motor skills. You can't do nothing. You just all out of here. You know, who dresses you? Your parents. They'll put the clothes on you. They'll put the shoes on. They'll put the socks with the socks, then the shoes, hopefully. But the older you get, the more mature you get, after a while, your mom starts saying, listen, I'm not going to keep putting your clothes on you. You are eight years old. You know, you are 17 years old. I'm not going to tie your shoes any longer. Right? Because the more mature you get, the older you get, you should start exercising authority to start dressing yourself. Right? Right? We all understand this. When you got up this morning, you dressed yourself, didn't you? Some of you dressed yourself better than others. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. No, no. We are a fashionable campus, okay? We are a fashionable campus. We do well. But you dressed yourself. It's the same principle in our, in our spiritual walk. See, when you become a Christian, when you first get saved, Jesus puts on you a robe of righteousness. Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. The moment you become a Christian, you're a baby. Jesus says, here's a new robe. Here's a robe of righteousness. Here's a garment of salvation. He dresses you. Another one he puts on you is a garment of praise. Isaiah 61.3, the garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. When Christ comes into your life, he says, here, you've been wearing a spirit of despair. Here's a garment of praise. Check this out. It's got sequins on it. It's bling, bling. Here's a garment of praise. We see this also in Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son. The son leaves the father. It's a picture of salvation. The son leaves the father. He goes out in wild living. He squanders his inheritance. He squanders everything. He goes back. And he says, I just want to be a slave. I just want to wear the robe of a slave. I just want to be a servant in your house. And the father, the first thing he grabs is a robe like that of a son, a signet ring like that of an heir to put upon his finger. And he puts sandals upon his feet. Those are the three things God puts on us. He puts a robe of righteousness, a garment of praise and the clothes like that of a son. But I want to tell you something. He only does it when he does it for you when you are a baby. But there comes a point in your Christian walk where you got to start learning how to put it on yourself. See, so many of us, we God puts it on us when we first get saved. We're walking around with that robe of righteousness. Oh, I'm so clean. I'm so clean. We got that garment of praise on. I will praise you. Your praise will ever be on my lips. Ever. Like we singing it, we got the songs, we got the joy. We're walking around. I'm a son of God. I've got a new identity. And then Satan comes in and says, you're a slave. All of a sudden, the robes start to fall off. Depression comes in. The spirit of despair tries to attack us. All of a sudden, we're not wearing that garment of praise anymore. All of a sudden, something, we fall into sin or temptation. And we feel like, oh, snap, I'm not wearing that robe of righteousness anymore. And then we want to stay there. God, where are you? God, what are you doing? God, I want my first love again. God, why don't you do it? Why don't you help me? Why don't you bring me there? And God's looking at you saying, dress yourself. Yeah. 
You know, the interesting thing is that when the angel said this to Peter, he said, dress yourself and put on your sandals to Peter. It doesn't say that Peter had to go outside and buy some clothes. It didn't say that he needed to walk down the street to go pick up the new garments. It said that Peter's garments had to be right next to him. In order for him to put on his sandals, they probably were right next to him, but he wasn't wearing them. His robe was probably right next to him. His, his clothes, like that of a son, were right next to him, but he didn't see it. See, what you don't understand is that the robes of righteousness, the garment of praise, everything that God has for you as a son, it's right next to you. All you need to do is begin to remember who you are. Begin to say, you know what? Satan's telling me that I'm wearing clothes like that of someone who's filthy, who's dirty. But I won't believe that. I'm putting back on my robe of righteousness. Satan's telling me that I have nothing to thank God for. Satan's telling me that I am in depression. I am in despair. But I won't believe that. I'm going to put back on my garment of praise. I'm going to choose to praise. I'm going to choose to worship. I'm going to choose to believe that I'm a son, that I'm an heir, that all that God has for me is mine. All that he has is mine. Dress yourself. Imagine how different your Christian walk would be if that's what you do every moment. Every moment you feel discouraged, you know what? I ain't even going to wear those clothes, Satan. I'm going to take that back. I don't want that. I'm going to put back on my garment of praise. Every time you fall, every time you sin, every time you feel like you're far from God. No, no, I'm not going to take those clothes, Satan. I'm putting back on my robe of righteousness. Jesus has already bought it for you. It's in your closet. All you got to do is wear it. You know, you need to start reminding yourself. You need to start making a decision to do these things because God won't do that for you. God won't put that garment of praise on for you. God won't put that robe of righteousness on for you. God won't put that spirit, that that robe of a son back on you because you already have it. It's already there. You just need to start remembering who you are. See, when he was saying that to Peter, he was saying, Peter, get up out of those slave clothes. Get up out of those prison garments and put back on the clothes of who you really are. You know, there's someone in the Bible who, who also does this, and his name is David, who, who knew how to dress himself. I want you to turn to 1 Samuel 30. I hope y'all hearing me today. I'm preaching today. I don't know. I hope y'all hearing me. See, God won't dress... You all the days of your life. At some point, you've got to rise up to start dressing yourself. At some point, you've got to look in the mirror and say, you know what? I'm not going to allow these things to hold me down any longer. I'm not going to allow this discouragement to continue to, to cause me to walk in depression. I'm not going to allow these lies that I'm defined by what I do, that I'm just a slave to define me any longer. I'm going to start believing what God has said. God can't even believe. Even faith, God can give you the spirit of faith. He can awaken faith, but to believe, you've got to start making a choice. You've got to make a choice to believe and to cast off doubt. First Samuel 30, we're just going to look at verses 1 to 6. 
It says, now when David and his men came to Ziklag, everyone say Ziklag. I don't know. I just wanted everyone to say it. (laughs) On the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire. And taken captive the women and all who were in it, both great, small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. Now, when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire. Imagine you come home and it's on fire. And their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Your wife, your sons and daughters, the people closest to you are not there. They're gone. They're, they've been made into slaves. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. They were filled with so much grief that it sapped all their strength. David's two wives, and David had some issues, also had been taken captive. Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. I want to give you a picture of what just happened. They're coming home, and they see the entire city on fire. They're like, man, I can't wait to go to my crib, man. I can't wait to see. Well, I guess David's like, I can't wait to see my two wives. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to see my two wives. I can't wait to go home. And so they're, they're on their way. I can't wait to get there. It's on fire. I'm sure someone's like, David, it's on fire. I see it's on fire. There's always like that guy in the camp. Thank you, Captain Obvious. (laughs) Walks up, searches out, searches out the whole area, looking. Abigail, I need him (laughs) now. Nowhere to be found. Looking for his sons, looking for his daughters. Nowhere to be found. You can imagine everyone, all the men are all, they're weeping. They're crying out loud. They're experiencing so much despair. Now, David, he's experiencing despair too. He didn't just lose one wife. He lost two. (laughs) And he is in the pit. But not only is he in the pit, but now he's hearing murmurs. Hey, you know what? You know whose fault this is? Whose fault is it? It's David's fault. Yeah, it is. Let's kill him. And David's like standing right here like, what'd y'all say? <laughs> he hears them plotting and scheming to kill him. They're all bitter. And so they're saying, we're going to kill David. David, none of you have been in the place that David's in, all right? Where David loses everything and now people are trying to kill him. He is at the lowest of lows. He is at the place where he probably feels like all the garments that God has put over his life have been completely ripped off. And instead it says, but... David encouraged himself. Wait, but did he just encourage himself? Did he just get in the mirror and be like, David, you're the man. You're the king. You're awesome. Do you know how awesome you are? You are awesome. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the strongest of them all? It's you, David. You just said it to yourself, David. 
No, he didn't do that. It says David didn't just encourage himself. David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Meaning that David stopped. He took a moment and he recognized who his God is. He recognized who has set him up over the kingdom. He recognized who has been moving in his life. He recognized who has always been faithful, always been there, always provided for him, always been a strong tower, always been a salvation, never let him down. And he said, you know what? I don't care what happens. I'm going to be all right. And then he says, hey, someone go get my robe. Get the robe. I got to go and talk to God. He goes right on in. He goes straight in. He goes past the priest. I got to talk to God. Forget you. I'm going straight to my God. I don't need a mediator. See, when you get encouraged, all of a sudden you'll go straight to God. He goes straight to God. He says, God, what do you want me to do? Shall I go pursue? Can I go pursue and overtake them? And God's like, hey, David, do it. God didn't tell David what to do. David came and asked, can I go and get everything that's been taken back? And God says, go do it. David goes and does it, and he brings back everything. See, when you'll start to put on that robe, when you'll start to begin to encourage yourself again in the Lord, when you'll start to recognize who you are, recognize what God's put over your life, God will begin to empower you to take back everything that's been stolen from your life. Everything that the enemy has tried to take in your past, maybe even before you knew Christ. When you get encouraged in the Lord, all of a sudden things start to be restored. David knew how to dress himself. Turn back to Acts. The third thing. The third thing, and this is the last point. You know, the funny thing is, is that I've been personally getting this word, not just in terms of preparing it and meditating on this and really meditating on the fact that I need to dress myself. I need to put, encourage myself in the Lord. But then even the past, yesterday, it was so funny. I went, I got dinner with a friend and he looked at me and he was, he was like, uh, can I share this word with you? He's like asking God, like right in front of me. I'm, I'm like, are you talking to me or someone else? He's like, can I? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I'm like, just say it. And he's like, well, I just had this vision of you. And I was like, all right. And he's like, yeah, this vision was I saw there was this box. And there was this box. And, and people in the past, people just came and they just put uh, money in this box. And I was like, oh, okay. I like this. <laughs> oh, yes. I received that blessing, God. Hmm. That's a good word. And he's like, but I feel like God's saying now that your box is completely full and that it's overflowing and that you need to stop asking for people to come and fill your box because your box is full. What? My box ain't full. You know, I'm like thinking like, is this a fi- I thought this was a financial word from God. My bank account is not full. Just kidding. Some of you guys, hopefully that didn't rub you the wrong way. It's all right. And then after, after a joint prayer meeting, a brother comes up to me, and I don't know why I asked him. I just saw him. I said, hey, pray for me. 
And then something happened. He wasn't able to pray for me. And I was like, where'd you go? Like, he, like, turned around and walked the other way. <laughs> Great friend. But then afterwards, he comes back, and he sits next to me. He said, I, I didn't have a chance to pray for you, but I got, as soon as I saw you, I got a word for you. And I was like, okay, well, what is this? What's the word? And he was like, well, I just feel like the Lord's saying that, you know, you're like a sponge. And I was like, oh, snap, like a sponge, like a sponge takes in so much. Yeah, like, yes, receiving. Yes, me. Yes. And then he's like, but I feel like in past seasons, God has put you, surrounded you by living water, and you just soaked it all up and soaked it all up and soaked it all up. And I'm like, I don't like where this is going. I don't like where this is going. Just stop talking to me right now. I don't like where this is going. It's just been soaking it all up and soaking it all up. And he's like, I feel like God is saying to you now that you are completely full. And that you don't need anyone to come and fill you up. You don't need, God has filled you up to the brim. What needs to happen is that he's going to squeeze you so that all that he's put inside of you can flow into the lives of other people. I was like, amen. (laughs) But here's the thing. There are seasons of your life where it doesn't matter. Everyone around you can try to put clothes on you. They can come around you and try to put encouragement and words, prophetic words and all these different things on you. But if you're in a season where God wants you to dress yourself, it doesn't matter. Those words will fall right off. And you're wondering, why don't those prophetic words work? Why isn't that encouragement working? Why is it not getting through my heart? It's because God says, I'm tired of giving you prophetic words. It's time for you to prophesy to yourself. It's time for you to start speaking to yourself, start encouraging yourself, start dressing yourself again. The third point. After the angel says to him, dress yourself, put on your sandals. Verse eight onward, he says to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. You know, the funny thing was, was with the angel and Peter, it wasn't enough for Peter to get up. He got up, the chains were off of him, but he was wearing prison clothes. See, you can be free, but in your mind, you still think you're a slave. You're still wearing the wrong clothes. So he gets up, the chains fall off, but he's still wearing the wrong clothes. So he says, dress yourself. So he puts on the right clothes. Okay. Oh, snap. I'm encouraged. I'm righteous. I'm there. Yes. He gets up. He's free in terms of his hands. He's got the right clothes on. But when he looks around, he's still in a prison. So it wasn't just enough for him to get up. It wasn't just enough for him to, you know, have the right view of himself. Ultimately, he had to start taking some steps forward. Ultimately, he had to start taking some steps forward. See, you can hear this word, you can hear it, and you can encourage yourself, you can get built up in it. But one thing God won't do is he won't force you to take a step forward. You get up, you dress yourself. Yes, good son, good daughter. But now it's time for you to start taking some literal steps in the right direction. What has God been speaking to you about? What are some things that he's been calling you to do that you've been afraid to step forward in? He's saying, it's time. For you to take a step. You know the walls of Jericho. They didn't just fall because they let out a shout. They had to do it step by step. Step 
by step. And then the accumulation of those small steps brought about victory over the entire city. He tells him to start walking. Follow me. Why? Because you can be free. You can have autonomy with your hands and feet. You can do what you want to do, but still be living in a prison. Still feel that restraint. And so God has to start leading you out. So you can really start to step into his promises. When it comes to following him, Jesus is the shepherd, right? He's the good shepherd. He's the chief shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. But sheep still have to walk. Sheep still have to follow. The shepherd doesn't go in and start massaging the muscles of every single sheep and move each leg one at a time to make sure that they come along. No, no. The shepherd leads the way, and it's the responsibility of the sheep to follow. See, Jesus may be leading you a certain way, but it's your responsibility to follow him. He won't force you to do it. God may be leading you to the promised land, but it's still your responsibility to take step after step after step. In the way that he leads to go and do it. Well, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. It's not your responsibility to lead. Divine liability. It's God's responsibility to lead you. It's your responsibility to follow. Peter never stopped and asked the angel. Hey. Hey, big guy. Hey, homie. I know you hit me earlier, but we're cool. Where are we going? He didn't ask that. It wasn't for him to know. And the angel never turned around and said, hey, are you okay? Do you want me to tell you where we're going? No, he just he just walked. He said, follow me. And he just walked. And then Peter had to make a decision. Peter had to make a decision. Do I I'm free with my hands and my feet. I'm wearing the right clothes. But if I don't follow him, I can stay in this prison. So either I follow him or I stay here. For some of you, that's what that's the decision God's putting before you right now. And this takes once again, this is uncomfortable. It takes some physical exertion. It means that your faith becomes a reality. And some of us, this is where we mess up. Because the moment we start taking steps in the right direction is the moment we start getting attacked. The moment you decide to stop smoking, that's when your job gets tough. The moment you decide to get your life in order, that's when everything around you starts to fall down. The moment you forgive your family member, that same family member does something else. The moment you sign up for membership, that old ex calls. The moment you decide you're going to commit to a community, that old past sin all of a sudden floods back. Why? Because Satan is perfectly fine with you not having chains and wearing the right clothes if you're still in the prison. He's perfectly fine with you wearing the right things, believing the right things about yourself, but not being in the promised land. Not being completely out. The moment you start committing to move forward and taking practical steps towards what God has for your life. Is the moment Satan starts calling from your past to distract you from focusing on your future, right? He wants you to look back. Because the moment you look back, you lose sight of your future. 
And Jesus even warns about this in Luke 9, 62. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Because God wants you to start moving forward. What is one way that you can start moving forward today? For some of you, you just need to get up. Some of you, you've been wearing the right clothes. You've been dressing yourself. You need to, some of you need to start doing that. But for some of you, you're already there. And you need to start moving. And I love this fact. Verses 9 onward. He went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real. But thought that he was seeing a vision. All Peter had in his mind when he was following that angel was vision, no reality. He didn't think anything was real. And in the beginning, that's what faith looks like. It's just vision. But the more you start taking steps to follow him, vision becomes reality. I'm speaking to some of you leaders here in the house where you've been constantly confined to certain walls and you think you're being restrained. When God's telling you, you need to start taking some steps forward. Oh, it just seems like a vision. It just seems like a dream, a pipe dream. No, the more steps you take, that vision will become reality. And what begins to happen, as Peter just simply walked, God did the rest. God, God, led, him to, God led him into the city. God opened every door. God led him into full freedom. It says that the iron gate into the city opened on its own. How will the doors open? How will it happen? How? Just start walking. How will it happen? Where will I go? It's not your responsibility to figure out how we get there. Your responsibility, step by step. Here's what you can do. You can get up. Get up quickly. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Stop looking down upon yourself. Stop speaking over yourself all the time that I'm a failure, that I'm not going to amount to nothing. You can start dressing yourself, start getting up and beginning to declare that you are righteous, that you are someone who worships God with your whole heart. Begin to worship him. Begin to look to him and begin to remember that you are a son, that you are bought at a hefty price. You are in the family of God. You are not an orphan any longer, that all that God has for you is yours. And then begin to move and what begins to happen is every door that you thought was closed begins to open and the crazy thing is is for Peter in his mind it was too good to be true until it was true and then he sits there and he says verse 11 when Peter came to himself it's funny, as soon as they got out to the door, as soon as they got to the promised land, as soon as they got out into the city, the angel left. He was like, Man, I'm good here. Peace. You know what he was saying? He was saying, Peter, I lead you into the city. It was my responsibility to lead you there. It's your responsibility now to be a witness there. When God leads you into the promises, it's, it's your responsibility to be a witness there. And then verse 11, Peter says, it says, immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel 
and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. I think this is a funny statement. I'll close with this to encourage you. It wasn't until Peter got there to the end of it that he was completely sure that God was in it. You notice that? He gets into the city and he's like, now I am sure there was an angel and God is with me. Man, this whole time I wasn't quite sure. Some of you, you're holding yourself back. You're allowing condemnation and shame and doubt to keep you from just taking simple steps. But Peter wasn't quite sure. Peter did not have full faith. Peter was like, okay, I think this is an angel. I'm just going to walk with him. I hope he doesn't kill me. This could be a dream. This may not be real. Peter, he wasn't like 100% faith. He wasn't like, oh, I'm going to follow this angel. It wasn't until the end where he said he was completely sure. Which means there's some things in your life you're not going to be completely sure about. Just go. Let's pray together.